Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying somewhere on the Kist and Solak Show. <laughs> Episode 122, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, I'm joined by the very sick Benjamin Solak, not because of the game, but he's... Not that sick. I'm on the, the climb uphill, uh, so tomorrow will probably be the bad day. Gotcha. Um, That's Benjamin but, yeah. Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, other than being sick, uh, how are you feeling about this 1-2 and two Eagles team and another very close, very heartbreaking loss in which plays that could have been made definitely were not made again? <laughs> wow. Philosophy. <laughs> You know how when you're you're sick and you're congested, things don't taste as good as they usually do. Yeah, everything is still delicious. Thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a good life. It, 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 it's a good day. It was a fun. It was an ugly watch, but it was like it was a it was a, a nail biting watch. I had the distinct pleasure of explaining what a blocked field goal is, how infrequently it occurs, and how valuable it would be in this particular context to my you know completely football illiterate fiance. The moment before Malcolm Jenkins blocked that kick, and that was really cool. Because in that moment, you were like, "This is it! Like their 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 luck is finally kind of flipping around in this game." And then obviously that didn't happen. But it was a uh, it was it was an ugly watch. But there was there were some good moments. That ending right there was down to the last play, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, one and two. But I feel I feel I don't know how you feel. I feel very much so like I feel you know during the 2018 season when there would be times where the Eagles would lose two out of three games there was a stretch where the Eagles lost like three out of four games in the middle of that season and 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 a lot of the times the kind of the message from this pod was like yeah but there's no reason to to freak out like it's probably gonna be okay and that's where I am right now the Eagles are one and two after three games and I'm really not very concerned about the direction of the team at all yeah I mean part of the problem for me is I think I'm a little more concerned than you because right now what we're what we're having to get from Carson Wentz is perfection in a lot of cases. And even when he's perfect, guys are not making plays. I mean, you go back to the the middle portions of the game. There were drives that ended on a Nelson Aguilar drop on third down. There was a drive that ended on a Miles Sanders fumble. The very next drive ended on a Nelson Aguilar fumble. I mean, the game before, we know about the, the Aguilar drop and Ertz being short of the sticks and whatnot. And then the last play of the game, and look, was not a perfect ball from Carson. Could have led J. Jaw a little bit more out in front. Hits him right in the hands. The defender does not touch this thing. This is why J. Jaw was drafted. And I understand he's a rookie. None of the guys around Wentz are making plays. And Wentz is playing really doggone good football. And I know Deshaun's hurt. And I know Alshon's hurt. But it just seems like the dumb, self-inflicted stuff is absolutely killing this team. And I don't care if they're in close games or not. You lose close games for a reason. Because you shoot yourself in the foot. Eagles have a more talented roster. They have better coaching. They have better players. Wentz played like a better quarterback. Stafford had a really good game, by the way, I thought, anyway. But this team is not yeah. This team is not making plays when they're out there. This is not like the magic type feel of 2017. This is crap right now. I'm really, listen, I'm really glad you brought up 2017, though, because we should mention, as I saw some like, you know, you know, like everybody who said this team was going to be like 2017 and it wasn't. And it's not going to be clearly. We, it's very easy and it's simply, it's, it's selection bias. It's just remembering 
you know, like the Patrick Robinson INT, you know, and like this and the other thing. We never talk about the the Keanu Neal kneeled ball in the middle of the air that went to Torrey Smith that led to a field goal against the Falcons in a game that the Eagles should have lost in the wild card round. We don't talk about that. Right. You know, we don't talk about unbelievably lucky breaks that happen in every winning season that are directly attached to, that are literally the other end of the stick of the incredibly unlucky breaks that happen in, in disappointing yeah. seasons. I mean, but that, at the same time, that's that's other teams not making plays. The Eagles have the, te- they have the plays right there for them to make. Sure. My my main point is this. Yeah. When you the Eagles went... Uh, two oh, oh, you know, minus two in the turnover differential. They generated zero sacks and they had seven drops. Statistically, mm. these are things that will regress to the mean very quickly. Turnovers are in large part luck. Sacks are in decent part luck. Drops are almost explicitly luck. So these are things that, that will go back. And so when it comes to execution, there's messing up of concepts. There's, 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 you know, uh, failed checks, failed reads. For example, the near, the near Darius Slay pick six, where just Carson and, and, and Sproles just like did not understand who was going to be breaking where at what time. Yeah. That is a more concerning thing to me than a JJ Artega Whiteside drop at the goal line. The JJ Artega Whiteside drop matters a lot more. It, it changed the outcome of the game, but on a 16-game season, which is admittedly small, we're not like talking like Major League Baseball here with, with 198 games, whatever the heck they play. So over a 16-game season, which obviously each game has a lot of leverage, the Ortega Whiteside catch, well, it'll, it'll be missed this week and it'll happen next week. You know what I mean? Like it's the, this, this is this is the thing that mostly is is subject to the, the the coins of fate. It's like you and I always talk about. We try really hard not to complain about the referees on on this podcast because. That's not something that the team can control. And we have a couple of good reasons to complain about the referees in this podcast, but that's not, you know, the kind of the coverage that we want we want to go for. The things that can be ironed out in terms of coverage calls, in terms of execution, in terms of coaching is the stuff that that is of more interest to me. So like the 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 drops are devastating, but anybody who can't look through the performance of a injured and young wide receiver core and say Carson Wentz played a really good game and put his team in a position to win multiple times. True. But we know Car- but we know Carson's good. We know Carson's really good. That's not the problem. That's- do we? Yeah. Do we? We still act like we don't know that. Like well, the, the general do. consensus. <laughs> some people right. do, but And so right. And so then you have Artega Whiteside, who we have a total of seven targets on his young career to decide whether or not he's good. You know what I mean? So we have that. The, the like you wanna you wanna talk about a guy that we simply should just be condemning and moving on from and saying it's over is Nelson Aguilar. And that's been since last season for me. Right. But with Aguilar, this just simply is firstly, we, we're, we're kind of glossing over this big thing with Aguilar right now. He is a starting wide receiver for the Eagles. This is not a backup that's been put in more playing time. And he's making almost 10 mil. The, Nelson Aguilar is making 9.4 million. Yeah. He is a starting wide receiver for the Eagles who run primarily 11 personnel. They don't run it as much as other teams do, but they, their starting offense is 11 personnel. He's the starting slot receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles. And in a time at which the Eagles only have one starting receiver on the field, and Aguilar isn't even the one getting extra attention from the defense. It's Zach Ertz. Aguilar is still getting the same coverage he'd be getting if Alshon and Deshaun were on the field. 12 targets. Yeah. 12 targets, and we had a, a just a complete stinker of a performance from him. Nelson Aguilar goes for 12 targets. We obviously know that he has a, a, a critical drop on a third down. We know that he has the drop, fumble, whatever the heck that is. <laughs> eight receptions for eight receptions for 50 yards. That's an average of 6.3 yards per catch. Two touchdowns, both of which came on catches and runs, 
One was a one-yard little screenplay, yeah. and the other was he was a mesh crosser on third and five, and he broke a tackle and he got into the end zone. After which play, I tweeted Nelson Aguilar was a running back with then like a question mark, but really. Nelson Aguilar is Josh Huff. Well, understand the way that the defenses treat this Eagles offense, especially with no Alshon Jeffrey, and even with Alshon Jeffrey last year, because the Dallas Cowboys did this. Detroit was doubling Zach Ertz in key situations and, and at the end of the game and making it very clear that they were going to double Zach Ertz. Someone else uh-huh. needed to make the play. It was. Ne- I mean, Nelson Aguilar is not going to make you play, pay. Matt Collins, you know, ha- had some good plays, and then we'll have an offensive pass interference on third down or have a drop after an offensive pass <laughs> interference on third yeah. down, right? Um, Darren Sproles will have a offensive pass interference down the field on fourth and five. It was crazy, right? So Nelly made the best play of the day when he when he broke some tackles, got in the end zone. That was his only redeeming play. Like he, he good right. for Nelson because he has struggled with confidence issues in the past and compounding drops and right. whatnot in his rookie season. Nelson is able to bounce back, but that the problem is. He continues to have to bounce back. He has to be more consistent. Right. Otherwise, we wouldn't be in this position. Yeah. Right. Aguilar, Aguilar is is a gadget player. Aguilar is a gadget touch. You know, they, they came out of the, the, the locker room in the, in the half, and what do they immediately he do? He shouldn't be, though. He should be a downfield threat. He's got... Four four three speed. He should be the vertical He's threat. He's not. And, 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 but, you know, he can be. I don't... I, now, again, I don't agree with the way they're using him, but that's really the only thing that he does pretty well is working the intermediate to deep areas, middle middles of the field. He's not a side-to-side gadget player going to break a bunch of tackles a bunch of the time. That touchdown was weird. That doesn't always happen with him. So he doesn't bring a whole lot of value outside of that, right? I don't, I don't like, and this, this, we disagreed on this after 2018, where I wrote about Aguilar and saying that I I didn't die to him. I just simply do not think he brings the deep value that you do. I mean, he did did in 2017, and they don't use him that way. They use him like a side to side player. I don't, if you're going to, and this is not making excuses for Nelson Aguilar because he has sucked at times this season. Right. But the last way you want to use him is side to side, so on and so as a consistent, like underneath type wide receiver. And I know that's kind of that antithesis of a slot wide receiver. So maybe that's part of your problem. But anyway, I mean, we, we can continue to argue about Aguilar. We know he needs to be more consistent. That's the bottom line. And the players around Wentz need to make some freaking plays. And when we draft the running back in the second round, we expect him to bring us production like he's going to be a Kareem Hunt, an Alvin Kamara. Like that was a lot of people's ex- right. expectations. And everyone got all crazy in training camp and in preseason because this guy looks really great in space and those situations are fantastic for players like that but when you get into the real NFL football game and the game speed is faster and you're no longer running Wisconsin and Iowa linebackers to beat them to the edge and you had fumbling problems in college anyway you have a really bad fumble on the first one the second one gets knocked out as you're going to the ground looked great as a receiver at times I love the the wheel that they ran out of the backfield sure like looked great which is great that's awesome that's fantastic but if you cannot fix a fumbling problem, you will not see the field. If you cannot be a really good pass protector, there's going to be times where you're going to be taken out. I still haven't seen that from him. But bottom line, protect the football, and you got to become more disciplined as a runner. He doesn't hasn't done either of those. Jordan Howard and Darren Sproles should be taking the majority of the snaps. And I don't know what the Eagles were thinking. Let's go back to him. Let's go back. I, I get that. Let's go back to him. Let's see if we can get him back in rhythm, get his confidence back, right? Well, we're having to do that with too many guys. We're having to do it with Nelly. We're having to do it with Sanders. Right. We're having to do it with all these guys that are missing these plays because all these plays are being missed. And that's why the Eagles are losing freaking football games because their execution stinks. And it looks like they stink as a football team. And if you were to tell me that the Eagles stink 
think right now, I couldn't disagree with you because they're playing bad football and they're killing themselves. They are better than this Lions team and they end up losing because they yes. can't they can't help but trip over themselves. It's it's just a garbage performance at right. home losing to the line at home. Heavy favorites. Come on. Inexcusable. Well, five points. Heavy favorites. In the NFL, that's a pretty healthy line. Right. And it was at six at one point. Right, yeah. It's a three-point loss on a dropped, I think, a white side touchdown, on a uh, 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 opening kickoff return for a touchdown, and on two turnovers turning into six points for the and Lions. You're down, you know but you're I mean? down like two scores. You're scrambling at the end. This isn't like, oh, it's just three points. It's, no, you were scrambling. You needed uh, uh, you needed a defensive stop after missing a fourth down play call to force a field goal and then get lucky enough to get a blocked field goal, and you still can't. You still can't finish the job. That's frustrating. Yeah. How did we? How did we feel about the the go for it on fourth and eight from the twenty? I felt totally fine. You can't have it both ways. You can't you, if, if you're gonna if you're gonna allow this coaching staff for being aggressive on fourth down, you cannot have it both ways. And I think right. it made sense because they had three timeouts. They knew if they could get a stop, and even if the Lions did get a field goal, you're still in the game. It's only like what thirty to twenty four at that point. So I have no issues whatsoever with going for it right there. You showed faith in your defense. The defense stood up, and then they made a play on special teams. That's how. That works, yeah. Matt Patricia, right there. So I have no yeah. issues. I um, I don't, I don't necessarily agree that it's a you can't have it both ways sort of a thing because the whole idea with with fourth down aggressiveness is there's a spectra, there's a gradient of, you know, fourth and one from your opponent's forty six yeah. is a no brainer. Fourth and five from your own thirty eight is not as much of a no brainer, right? The idea is that there's a there's a, a a gradient here, fourth and eight on the twenty-two, and the way it was it was framed for me by by analytic members of the community uh, was that like you're basically inviting a super conservative approach and thereby inviting a field goal and then keeping the game one score. Correct. Which if you know Matt Patricia's going to do that, that's awesome. What? You know what I mean? If if you feel that's kind of if you feel confident in that, yeah, go for it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Which it was a run on first down, run on second down, and then. On third down, which we can transition the conversation now to this, the Eagles on third down, third and 10, from the 22 game on the line, went zero blitz. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the exact same coverage yeah. that Sidney Jones gave up a touchdown on, not three drives ago, two drives ago, whatever the heck it was. Man, Jim Schwartz, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's, I don't trust my pass rush to get there with four. Mm. I don't know if it's, listen, my corners are going to get burned anyway. I don't know if it's... I don't care anymore. I just want to go home. Um, but this dude, I mean, there was a never, yeah. never sent this many blitzes and this aggressive of blitzes ever. Well, they they weren't getting home with Mike. four. They're not getting home with four, and it's showing with what Schwartz right. is having to do to manufacture pressure. And I was saying it like later on in the game when 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 the Lions took over around midfield. And it was like third down. I'm like, this is where this is where Schwartz prefers to blitz. Number one, like from like around the area where you're starting to get into field goal range, he wants to knock you out. He wants to hit you with knock a knockout out. blow, get you in a situation where you where you can't kick the field goal there and, and really put the onus on you. But also at the same time, if you're not getting there with four, I mean, what you you gotta force some type of throw and hope that it's an errant throw and it kind of was. It took the receiver out of bounds. Sydney had good coverage on it. I thought it was right. a great place to blitz right there. And the fact that Schwartz is having to blitz like that underlies the problem with the pass rush as a whole because we don't typically think right. of Schwartz like that. And Stafford, we talked about before the game, makes good good decisions against the blitz. And for the most part, he did in this game. So it was hard to attack him like that. And he made some crazy right. throws with some sidearm throws and some stuff that was out platform. But I love the blitz there. Like just I think uh, I'm, I'd be curious to know if the... 
algorithm, the machine learning, the analytic approach to when to go for it on fourth down has leaked into when to blitz, right? right. Third and 10 from the 22, less than three minutes left, whatever it is. Um, you're either going to win or lose. Yeah. So either lose on that play or possibly, you know, stay alive on that play, right? Look, I prefer to Schwartz sit back and, and cover 10 yards off and letting teams eat right. apart. I prefer that. Yeah. And then, and then, yeah, you got the coverage up you needed. Sidney Jones against Marvin Jones, which is, again, like, that's, you run that a hundred times. Marvin Jones catching that ball more than 50. Well, you know, and so you got, you got the play you needed out of Sydney, and there you go. So it, it, but it's, it's crazy because this is a situation where, in my opinion, you, you can't have it both ways, right? He runs cover zero blitz and asks Sidney Jones to track Marvin Jones across the field on second and 10 from the 13. Mm. Second and 10 from the 13. Jones had good coverage until. Yeah, and Marvin Jones just bodies him down the field. <laughs> and then, you know, like I said, a couple drives labored in a, in a slightly similar circumstance. It was actually Kenny Galladay who was the target on that rep, not Marvin Jones. But the point still holds. You get cover zero and obviously it's successful. Um, it's just it's such a different look for Philadelphia and I, that's what I, I'm saying. I want to understand why it's all of a sudden come out. Is it because they're not getting pressure with four? Is it because, you know, okay, well, if we drop seven, we're still getting thrown on because our corners can't stick with guys. So we might as well just send seven and, and try to, you know, as we did on the Galladay play, force, force a kind of bad throw. Whatever it is, I want to know why there's so much more blitzing happening because the impetus behind it will inform us on the likelihood that the eagles make a move at defensive back mm. namely jalen ramsey yeah because if it's we're not getting pressure with four well then it's not as likely that they move jalen ramsey right. as it is well listen our corners suck anyway so we might as well <laughs> send the house it's not going to solve the problem yeah I, and you know schwartz like to talk likes to talk about this stuff and and game three and all that so chances are he's going to let it out maybe why he blitzes more sometimes he keeps it close like he keeps stuff like about specific players blowing coverages and stuff like that he kind of keeps that close close to the chest but when it comes to like game theory i think he might let it let it out as far as why he's doing that it might have to do with the pass rush we'll see we'll see about that anyway we got more to talk about about this stupid 27 to 24 loss for the philadelphia eagles as they move to one and two here on the kiss and solak show we're gonna pay some bills and we'll be right back exaggerations and half-truths aren't new in politics but now with ai People can create fake videos of candidates to sway your vote. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and I've teamed up with technology expert and law professor Nita Farahani on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet, for a three-part miniseries, AI on Trial. Our second episode presents the hypothetical case of a hotly contested Senate race that is derailed when the leading candidate is accused of using AI to enhance his performance and hurt his opponent. How are we supposed to know when the technology becomes very difficult to validate something as truth or lies? Do existing laws, policies, and government agencies sufficiently safeguard the political process? Political speech is so tightly protected under First Amendment that it makes regulating in this space a real challenge. And what needs to happen to protect democracy in time for the real presidential election in November? When our elections are so close, where it comes down to nail-biting endings, a few voters here and there can really lead to differences in outcomes. The episode is out now. Search Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back here on The Kist and Solak Show, episode 123, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation, Michael Kist, here with Benjamin Solak covering this Eagles 27 
24 loss to the Lions. Uh, Ben, a lot of people talking about referees. I don't necessarily want to make that show about that, about some of the calls that were missed. Obviously, the Miles Sanders one where he got his head turned around was just ugly. Here's here's what's fascinating to me about that missed call. I don't know. This is a legit question. If somebody knows, please answer it for me. What are you watching on a kick return? I mean, the guy returned. seven. <laughs> there are seven, eight umpires on the field. Yeah. Referees, excuse me, on the field. Yeah. There's maximum 10 blocks occurring. Hmm. And a lot of them are happening in a very similar area. So you can probably like watch a couple at a time. It's all pretty condensed. If you're a ref right. and you go, hmm, I can yeah. see this guy's nameplate and yeah. I can also see his face mask. Maybe there's a right. problem. It's just like it's just like it's it's because it, like the reason I ask this is like the um the second Nelson Aguilar touchdown where there was a penalty flag thrown for offensive pass interference and then it was picked up. Yeah. Why was it picked up? Well, because the field judge threw it from the back right corner of the end zone while the line judge was staring directly down the line of scrimmage. He's going to be the one to know the line judge if the you know little screen play pick play rub play whatever you want to call it happened beyond one yard which would make it illegal so the field judge threw it and then when the refs conferred the line judge who has you know a much better angle and probably has like you know precedence like the first call on that penalty said unequivocally no i saw it was within one yard it's legal and that's why they picked it up i would imagine you know it's like, like you have different assignments in different places i would imagine on a kickoff return there's like one dude's job is probably just like hey just, like, just watch the returner <laughs> Because really not that much is going on in this play, right? right? Yeah. This is not like a pass play. It's not like offensive line. We have to watch a bunch of different routes going to a bunch of different places. We have to watch the quarterback, see if he gets hit, right? Like there's a whole, like the the, the head ump's job is just to watch the quarterback after he gets hit, Yeah. right? So you would assume there would be a guy there whose job it was. I guess, I don't know, somebody was in front of him. So we know that was a penalty. What, what did you think about the other ones? What did you think about the, I mean, I, you're going to know where I stand on these, but what did you think about the block in the back from Malcolm Jenkins on the blocked field goal return and the push off from uh, offensive pass interference right. from Darren Sproles? Honestly, dude, and I said this on Twitter and I, and I think it was a penalty. I'm actually pretty sure it was a penalty because he pushed off, but that was like the tiniest offensive pass interference that I've ever seen. Because a little guy like that pushing you off, you bench pressing you off, yeah, right. at the catch point, it's just odd. Of the three offensive pass interferences, <laughs> which yeah, that's a whole that's you a know lot. opening clause. That's a that's a thing. Of the three offensive pass interferences uh, that happened for Philadelphia, I do wonder how many would have occurred if there wasn't a renewed interest in pass interference in general as a thing right. in the year for this league, that's a right? Good point. Like. You know what I mean? Like, like now OPI is challengeable. Mm. Like, you know, like if, if if I'll put it this way, if a ref doesn't call it, the defensive coach can throw a flag, but you should have called OPI there. So does it make a ref more willing to call it? Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, like with Sproles, was it probably OPI? Yes. Yeah. Is that something we've seen never called before? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All the time. <laughs> Same thing with Malcolm Jenkins. You know what right. I mean? Like, I forget. There's there's somebody in in some prominent person in, in, in coaching who said this. and I don't remember who it is. I think it's like some old retired coach. It's like there isn't a kickoff return for a touchdown in the history of the NFL without one block <laughs> in the back. It's just a question of how egregious it was and where did it happen? Yeah. You know what I mean? And obviously with Jenkins, I think it was Jenkins just running. Jenkins running full speed, and the dude stops. Jenkins runs into his back. It's a block in the yeah. back. Was Jenkins like with his hands out tracking the dude? Yeah. No, he just ran into him in the back. But that's that's you know that gets called. I like those things don't bother me too me much. Too. Fourth and fifteen, Carson puts a very catchable ball on JJ. I think a wide size hands at the one yard line, mm. so it shouldn't have mattered. <laughs> uh, the Eagles get the ball outside of field goal range instead of in field goal range. Carson Wentz puts a very catchable ball on Matt Collins' hands on second and ten in field goal range. Shouldn't have mattered. I saw that take a lot from people in terms of Eagles had the ball in field goal range. The penalty took them out of field goal range onto the 50. 
first and 10, second and 10, third and 10, fourth and five, fourth and 15. There was criticism I saw from like, why didn't the Eagles just make sure they got a first down? Oh, buddy, they tried to. Yeah. <laughs> Mac Hall's didn't catch football. Right. Right. And then once you're on third down, you're absolutely playing for a more manageable fourth down. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, so that, 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 that sort of thing doesn't bother me. The game scripting wise doesn't bother me. I thought the offensive game plan was really strong in terms of the play action that was used for the Eagles to generate the amount of intermediate windows that they did. I should say really short windows. There weren't too many intermediate passes, but for them to generate the short middle of the field windows that they did without a true deep threat was impressive. Uh, you know, they they really did not attempt the two deepest passes were the Miles Sanders throws, right? And then the Arthur Whiteside drop. Yeah. But really, for the majority of the game, they the only throws they were threatening deep were two were two Sanders mm. running back. Yeah. And they were still really effective at opening up those interior windows. They did a good job manipulating the Lions linebackers as we anticipated. Eagles put 24 points on the board despite giving up two turnovers. That was like good offensive output from stem to stern. Only punted like three times. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's um. I thought it was, it was a generally good performance by the offense. Uh, I thought the scheming was good. I thought Carson played really well. Offensive line, I don't think really struggled that much. I think Carson's responsible for a lot of the pressures that he was under, especially late in the game. Uh, when they're dropping eight and rushing three, mm-hmm. you gotta just stand in the pocket. Yep. You gotta, you gotta at first. You know, like, you, you you can't be moving off your spot that quickly because you're just gonna put your your lineman in bad places. Like the uh, the Devon Kennard sack against Dallas Goddard stands out as like Goddard had him locked up, and Carson just climbed the pocket, and Kennard was like, "All right, I'm gonna go sack you yeah. now." And there's nothing Goddard can do. Goddard's in space against an outside linebacker. If Carson moves off his spot, Goddard's gonna be in the wrong location. Something Carson has to know and understand. Pocket pocket presence, yeah, pocket presence remains the biggest weakness for me of Carson Wentz he's got amazing escapability but he makes pockets harder than they should be for himself yeah, I agree and speaking of Goddard what about Goddard and, and th- this is like something that didn't really matter but I think it does because first and 10 Detroit 26 there's 9 13 left the Eagles are down 10 the Eagles run double China seven and we can do this on the film review but you know you have the have trips to the left you've got the two in breaking routes from the outside and Goddard's running a corner route and gets one-on-one with, I believe that's 52. I, I, I forget the numbers right there. But Goddard, perfect throw, right on his hands, drops the ball in the end zone. Perfect throw. Can't, can't ask for anything else from Carson Wentz in that situation. Now, the Eagles yep. eventually get a touchdown. But it happens two, minute, two minutes later. When you're down right. two scores in the fourth quarter, less than 10 minutes to go, how much does that two minutes matter? So the, even that drop itself wasn't without big consequences because the game scripting changes in that situation and you might have a chance at another drive if that ball is not dropped. Those little drops, those those little things right there where Carson should have had seven right there would have saved him two extra minutes to get back in this ball game. And of course, much matter a great deal. A lot a lot could happen after that. And that's a whole butterfly effect thing and different things happen and whatnot. So we, we, we can't know. But like even the small stuff that a lot of people aren't even talking about are just it's just killing this team, man. Just and I don't know what's going on with them. They got to get out of their own head and they got they just got to play ball. It just it just seems like something that is not just one person. It's not just Nelson Aguilar. It's Dallas Goddard and it's and it's Matt Collins and it's Darren Sproles pushing off and getting penalized and it's Malcolm Jenkins getting a unfortunate call when he's running full speed at a guy with his back turned. It's just. Wild, yeah. man. And that's the unfortunate things to, that lead to bad losses against decent teams like the Lions. And I told you coming into this, and I don't want to play the, oh, I told you so thing because I really don't care. I'm not proud of that at all. But, like, the Lions game, this game worried me more than I thought it would after right. breaking down the film. And the Lions, I think, held up their end of the bargain and played some decent football. We knew it would be close, yeah. right? And I think that that's one of my other big, like, takeaway things is, like, 
the Eagles lost to the Lions, and much like the Falcons game, they had a lot of opportunities to win it and should have, but then they didn't. Mm. Unlike the Falcons game, we knew coming in that this team was depleted. Like, Alshon and Deshaun is the easy thing to talk about. This team is still missing Camus. It's missing Timmy Jernigan. It's missing Malik Jackson. It's missing Jalen Mills and then suddenly lost Ronald Darby. Starting players all across the board that the Eagles are missing. Dallas Goddard played but barely took any snaps, had one target. Clearly wasn't healthy. He was running six offensive linemen yeah. instead of putting him I in. I mean, his, right? his, he clearly, they, his cap's not attached to his hands, but I get what you're saying. Right, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> I know, I know. He, had, he, had one, he had one target, which was a bad drop. But Goddard, on, on a day in which the Eagles did not have wide receiver one, wide receiver two, a healthy Goddard gets more than one target. Oh, absolutely. And I was expecting more 12 right. and, and play yeah, action yeah. off of it if he was going to exactly. be healthy, but he wasn't. On the Eagles' first touchdown drive, they had seven offensive linemen in blocking with Alex Ellis as the fullback and Dallas Goddard on the sideline. I think if Goddard was healthy, he would have been on the sideline for that set. God, yeah. no. By the, by the way, how about them just deciding instead of waiting until the third quarter to go on the second drive in the first quarter to go with heavy personnel and decide that they're going to run the ball and something just clicks with this offensive line when right. the coaches go to them, hey, we're bringing in the heavies. Let's go take over this game. It, it seems to happen like once a game, every game. Why can't we just do more of that? I don't. I don't understand. I um It's so weird. I think well, I, I I have a take that is not formed and I have not checked it and it's purely heuristic off what I feel. Mm. But I just think that Deuce Daly just really struggles to manage his hot hand, who should have I the agree. ball, when should have the ball, on which concepts. I just don't yep. I mean like even with a giant blunt when it was good, there were times where like I just didn't get it. That, that's what I mean about Sanders. You know, you know the fumbling issue is an issue with Sanders. I know you want to get it, get it back to him and kind of get his confidence back after he makes the first fumble. Put Howard in there. Howard was playing well. Go with the hot hand. Mm-hmm. That's what you have the committee for. Because if one guy's not hot, the other guy might get hot, and you go with the guy that you go with the pony that's rolling, man. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's the the whole running thing. Like in week one, there was too much Darren Sproles, right? And then in week three, there was too much Miles Sanders. Uh-huh. I'm not going to be shocked if in the next three weeks there's a week where the general consensus from Eagles Twitter is, hey, <laughs> there's too much Jordan right. Howard, right? Yeah. People were screaming for Jordan Howard today. Which is crazy. Right? The broadcast the broadcast booth was losing their mind over the fact that Jordan Howard did not have 85 touches, which was fascinating. <laughs> Howard ends the game with 11 carries for 37 yards. Right. He averaged three and a, 3.4 yards a carry. Right. Miles Sanders averaged with 4.1. Yeah. People were screaming after Sanders fumbled. Why? Why isn't? Why isn't Howard in there? Which is fine. Right. But like for the, at the same, same time, reason that you were thr- for the same reason that you were thrilled about Miles Sanders before the season correct. because he's more dynamic, right. right? Right. But you know, Sanders not being ready to be a long term player is not something that should be so- too surprising. And that's the thing I've also seen. Like man, like wish the Eagles had actually drafted good what players. A bad draft. It's the third. <laughs> it's the third game of their careers. Yeah, right. And I think that I, I wrote about this in my winners, losers, and I don't know pieces. I think both of them, we currently have too high of expectations for them. Sanders, because of the preseason buzz. Ortega Whiteside, because of the, the injuries in front of them. You would have liked both of them to respond better. For sure. You know, we got second-round pick in Miko Hardman in, in Kansas City on an 83-yard touchdown. Yeah, that would have been nice for the Eagles to have out of their second-round rookie. But they don't. And, and it's okay. We have never said that it wasn't going to take some time with these guys. And me and you weren't big right. fans of the Sanders pick, and we knew it was going to take some time. And we, yeah. we understood And we that. liked Artega Whiteside. Right. But also, Artega Whiteside, like his initial, like when he was like, why is Artega Whiteside going to be good? Oh, like red zone 50-50 balls. He had three targets today, mm. only one of them even near the end zone. And it was a giant deep post route, which he ran like zero times at Stanford. It's okay. You know what I mean? This is... 
Bad you drop, know, though. Our, yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a god awful drop, and he knows it. He, you know what I mean? He said after the game, he said they he, he thought there was going to be contact. The contact right. didn't come, and I think that messed with his timing because he said, and then the ball was right on me. So I I think he yeah. had an issue tracking it. Number one, because I thought he could have done a better job at high pointing and coming back to the ball. Like I said, could have been a better ball, could have let him, whatever. It was there for him to catch right in the hands. But also, really, just coming back for the ball and high-pointing it and being a little bit more of an attacker in the air. That's what you expect from J-Jaw. That's what we saw in college. That was not right. – the way he attacked that ball was not how I'm used to seeing Arthago Whiteside attack balls in the air. Right. Let me know if you disagree. No, and that's that's the thing. is The thing that was the best play uh, – the best thing about that play, that the, the actual quality performance in that play – was Melvin, the corner, not getting pass interference? Because that's what I think a white side thought was going to happen. And that's what happens five bajillion times out of five bajillion times on that route is that, you know, that ball's behind on the post. The corner's in a recovery technique. The wide receiver stops and goes up to address the football. The corner barrels into him, grabs into him, trying to stop his momentum, and it's pass interference whether it's caught or not, mm-hmm. right? That's what I think a white side was probably expecting in terms of contact. I think a white side needs to become better at getting. Uh, to drawing that that penalty right and so i think a white side elevates and he he elevates away from melvin elevate directly vertical go directly up and you will incite that contact then you'll you'll also be the one attacking the football the ball won't eat you up but this is what it is to be a second round rookie in the nfl it's to not make good plays to to make bad plays now could this play have mattered more? No. So it sucks the worst that it was a bad play. But that's what second round rookies do is they make bad plays, right? Yeah. Miles Sanders made a really bad play with a fumble at the line of scrimmage. Ball squirts back to Sam Malo. You know, these these are bad plays. It's just the leverage of the individual play is what makes you remember the one worse. And that's why I really don't think, you know, the Eagles are in too bad of a spot. And it's actually why I wanted to ask you, because I've seen this a lot. All right, short week. They probably won't get healthy and they're going to go play the Green Bay Packers. What do you think the opening line is going to be on this sort of a game? Is it in, It's in Green Bay, right? I believe it is, yes. Yeah, if it's in Green Bay, what, Packers are 3-0 and now, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Yeah, so I'm probably going to we go. wins over the Bears, the Vikings, and the Broncos. So you typically give three points for home field advantage, so that's already out there. I don't think the Eagles are going to be favorites in this game, even if it was at a neutral site. So I'm going to go five and a half to start, maybe? It opened at three for the Packers. Oh, so now it's at four. Now it's oh, so okay, so they're right. starting to push my way. But right. at first, they were just saying, "Well, they're at home; they'll win." Yeah, <laughs> but so this is so this is my thing. Yeah. Not only do I not think that this game is nearly as much of a wash. Oh, the three and Packers against the one and two Eagles people. We have three games worth of data on these teams. Right. They are by far not decided seasons. We have no idea. So not only do I I, I think that, but also. The Eagles are going to be like massively back up against the wall after dropping two games that they should have won. I think the Eagles are going to come out and have a great game against the 3-0 Packers. Why wouldn't they? This is a team that is woefully underperformed in terms of the win-loss column and has performed well except for critical situations in in, in, on on field. This is a team that is a strong, huge candidate for positive regression to the mean of what their performance should be. The Eagles team should have scored more points than they have thus far this season, save for a few very high leverage plays, like the Nelson Aguilar drop, which was worth six points, like the J.J. Arthigo Whiteside drop, which was worth six points, like the Mac Hollins drop, which was worth three points. And defensively, in terms of giving up stuff, they've also had huge high leverage plays. Akeem Spence, third down offsides. 
gives up as a seven. It's a six point leverage play. Uh, a kickoff return for a touchdown. It's a six point leverage play that typically does. You don't give up kickoff return touchdowns. You know more than once or twice a season. So this is this is a team who simply they're a huge candidate for positive regression and. This is a, a team with a very winning head coach, which has shown resiliency over multiple seasons with a very good NFL quarterback who has played tremendous ball that has elevated the players around him. Why are we writing off the Packers as a loss? <laughs> I get like we feel bad about right. a Lions game. Like obviously we, like, you know, you and uh, I think enumerated it very well at the beginning of the pod, the frustration with a loss that felt stupid. But I really like I was not surprised or disappointed because it's just kind of the way that Twitter is. But I would really say like there's, no reason at all to say, well, the Eagles are starting one and three because the Packers are three and oh. Man, the Packers beat the Bears by like five. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they yeah, the they, 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 they took the, the Vikings down to the wire with one possession, yeah. right? Like it's this is Packers are a good team. Right. They're not if you believed the Eagles were gonna be good four weeks ago, you do not have enough data, enough information. One game with Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson healthy to say that they're going to be bad. Now, if neither of them make it back for the Packers, they've got to figure stuff out. But here's the thing. And this goes back to my point of like, we should have anticipated the Eagles not being as good against the Lions. We should have known they had multiple players out with injury. You don't solve injury in a week, especially when the players you're putting in are guys like Ortega Whiteside. He's never played in the NFL before. Matt Collins, who missed all of last season to injury. It takes time. And this brings me back to, you know, remembering the goods and not the bads of 2017. You ask an average Eagles fan, hey, how did Halapulivati Vaitai do in uh, filling in for Jason Peters in the 2017 season? They say, oh, he did pretty good. He did well enough. (laughs) Yeah, what you forget is when he first stepped in, he was god-awful, abysmal. He was going to ruin our season. And then he got better over time, and the Eagles got better protecting him over time. And he he grew more comfortable and even out the ups and downs. You know, the team is beat up. They're gonna the, the the replacements are gonna become more comfortable and the play calling is gonna make more sense and they're gonna figure out what they need to do in those you know uh, you know okay well we have you know huge long term injuries at defensive tackle well we're gonna continue throwing stuff at the wall until we figure out what the solution is for that it doesn't just take four quarters against the Lions to figure that out so the Eagles short term are gonna be okay this team has played really good ball over the last six quarters with some critical errors at huge opportune times. So they're going to play better against the Packers, but then long-term, this team is going to play better because they have really good talent that's going to come back and really good coaches that are going to figure out how to fill in the gaps. So let's all breathe. Hit the panic button because we're going to three words and we're going to see some panic. <laughs> so we're going, yeah. to, we're going to go to the three-word segment of every recap show where BGN underscore radio on Twitter asks you for your three words, gentle listener, to describe this game. And the first one to just totally contradict everything you just said, my son kissed underscore Simeon says... A-Rod. We always make your son first, and it's straight patronage, and I'm totally fine with it. But anyway. A-Rod is coming. Uh, some other ones, a lot of a lot of the drop stuff. Uh, at Oh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. A- yeah. You don't know A-Rod? What are you talking about? I was, I was thinking the, 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 the baseball player, the third baseman. To your point. For the Yankees. At Chad Weichert, three more quarters, and then in parentheses, of the season, I'll allow it. Even though it's six words because he's clarifying what he means right. by three more quarters. And that's to your point. This is a long way to go. There's three more quarters Very plus easy. a game. Just say 13 games left. That's actually three words. And it doesn't mean you have to cheat. <sighs> I actually, had to, I anyway. actually had to throw a flag on somebody for having too many words. Let's see if I can find yeah, it. Yeah, I saw that. Somebody thought they could just remove the spaces between bad play calling <laughs> yeah. and it would 
solve the problem. Don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I like this one from Tim Koala at Koala underscore Tim, which Tim, if your real last name is actually Koala, you're a lucky that's, camper. That's dope. Yeah, it's blank. And like literally like he like put like, you know, underlines, like, you know, like an underscore in, in quotation marks blank dropped it because not only did the Eagles have seven, eight, six drops depending on how you catch it, you count it. One was Jordan Howard, one was Dallas Goddard, one was Darren Sproles, one was Matt Collins, one was J.J. I think of Whiteside, one was Nelson Aguilar, one was Zach Ertz. It just, it was everybody, man. The, I mean, the ball it's was the greased, team. you know what I mean? It, it wasn't just the one player, it was everyone. So I thought that was a good one. I love this one. At PP Fan, or PP Han, PPHAN90, oh. Ginger, Ginger Beard, who always uh, trolls you on the BGN comments. Yeah. Did you see him try to shoot his shot with Sam Wilson? <laughs> What's up, Sam Wilson? No. 18? <laughs> I respect it. Good effort. Uh, I'm laughing. Say, Sam liked it because she thought thought it was funny too. So good, good job, brother. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> guys, uh, guys, guys, trying got, to get the babes on broad crew. We've got like, another cheater at Philly Patent. Thomas Walls PhD says, "Don't in all caps and then in parentheses and lowercase throw it to with hyphens <laughs> and then again in all caps stone hands." Yeah. Now I have I have a couple of questions. Number one. You tried to make it three words, and you made it four yeah. by combining throw it to, but now it's don't throw it to, stone hand. So it's still four. So you still did it wrong. And secondly, they really didn't have that many other options. Um, right. Everybody was dropping the football. Also, um, we saw Garfield. At Garfield for real. Big stick Nick. What? Yeah. I don't know what Nick has to do with Is this? Game. Right. So I looked, I, I, I ran over it in my head. There's no one who played who's named Nicholas. So is this a censored version of saying Nick Foles would have won this game? I think so. I think so. And I'm just going to breeze right past it because it's stupid. All right. Let's go to, uh, no offense, brother. Thanks for listening. Josh Semro <laughs> at Le, Le Butt. Le, Le Butt. U-U-U-U-U-T. I like the way he did this. He actually has three responses, which we discourage unless you do it like this. His first three words, drop, drop, drop. His next three words, drop, drop, drop. His third response, drop, which indicates the seven drops in the game. Last two words, Wentz's his fault. Well done, Josh. You broke the rules, hey, but you did it right. That's clever. That's, okay, round of applause. Three tweets, three words. Um, at Grand 26 Jim says Ken Wentz catch, which I enjoy also, especially because there was that one play where there was a ball that was popped up and Wentz elevated for it. And I swear yeah. to you, I was like, he's going to try to catch this and run this, this absolute idiot. Yeah. And then he threw down on the ground and I was like, I'm very proud of you. Thank Smart you. Smart move. A veteran move by Wentz on that. I thought he was going to try to do something stupid too, but it like, he, right. yeah. <laughs> We also had um, at Philly Rob 15, Rob Hill says Wentz is snake bitten, which honestly really is. He's got to feel like that, right? Right. I mean, like. We we, we, we give all the context for what happened in yeah. this game. Wentz himself, considering right. everything he's had to do and the way that the Eagles have failed in these situations with him in there, he's right. got to feel like that a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought to myself after the game, I was taking the puppy out and I was thinking about the game and I really thought to myself like, man, how are they going to choose what to put in the 30 for 30 of, you know, <laughs> the what could have been with Carson Wentz right. before he just quit football? Because like the poor guy just like injury, your backup wins the first Super Bowl for the team back in 2018, continued injury in 2019. Just everything is conspiring against this dude. It sucks. I do want to say uh, Philly, uh, at Philly Gunner, and the L's are ones. Max says fire Jim Schwartz, which we just had to make sure that we 
Uh, I acknowledge that that's also been in the mentions again. So with three weeks running, fire Jim Schwartz. No. And then Kebab <laughs> with my favorite one, at Kebab underscore Bob. Do you know the one I'm about to talk about? No, I didn't see it. All right. So three words. He says, at Eagles don't need Jalen Ramsey. That's a dot. As long as someone informs <laughs> at Cindy Jones 4 that he is allowed to be within eight yards on the wide receiver he is covering. Hashtag fly Eagles fly. I was my gonna, guy. <laughs> I was going to throw the flag on that one too, but I was, I was driving and I was like. <laughs> he clearly just like, he just like reading the tweet and he was like, Best responses are rather than social recap tonight. Okay, I'm just going to tell them what I think. Even though, like, three words in giant all caps at the top. We've been doing this for many years. Um, hey, Ben, are you, I love are you it watching people... what's going on with the with the Giants right now? As we're No, it's in, it's, in, it's in the other room. What's going on? It's, it's fourth down. The Giants are down by six points. There's 121 left. It is fourth and five from the... Hand it off to Barkley. Seven-yard line. Daniel Jones, back to... They got a little bunch on the left there. Running back to the right. Jones looking left steps up in the pocket. He's going to run for it. Walks in for a touchdown. What are the Bucks doing? Daniel Jones, baby. Let's do it. Danny Dimes. How do you not expect Jones to just take off with it? He's like Trubisky in that way. Anyway, okay. Yeah. So the Giants might get themselves a, a big win against the Buccaneers. We'll see what uh, Magic Jameis can pull that, out. He's like Trubisky was so sneaky, man. <laughs> you just dropped that in there as if like that would be okay. <laughs> that was really well done. I appreciate that. Hey. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Solak Show here on BGN Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Man, a 1-2 and two football team for the Philadelphia Eagles, a start that uh, most of us did not expect. A lot of us, myself and Mike included, don't really know how to understand or contextualize. But oh, we're mad about it's it. A quick, <laughs> yep, yeah, we sure are feisty. Uh, which, again, another thing, if the broadcast booth was not commenting on Jordan Howard, what were they commenting on? Oh, the Eagles fans are booing. Oh, what are they? Their <laughs> defense is playing pretty good. They're losing 20 to 10. Right. Like, oh, but their defense has played well. Okay, well, screw you. We're not Minnesota, all right? We're like, I'm like, it's been a good effort so far. Yeah. They're losing. They're upset that they're losing. <laughs> How is this hard for you to understand? Okay. So thank you for listening to the show. It's a quick turnaround this week. Ugh. Yeah. Accordingly, I usually don't know the schedule. I even less know the schedule now because the game is at a different time. So here's what's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to subscribe to the podcast. And then because you subscribe to the podcast, you won't need me to tell you when the next episodes are coming out because you'll get notified. And then I can keep my job because I won't have to go through this process at the end of every show. But we have the recap. I'm sure BGN Radio will have a recap. We will likely have one chunkier preview show with both units against both units instead of splitting up into the usual two simply because there are less days for us to cover we'll Mm -hmm. obviously have the bgn preview show as well the babes on broad preview show as well as we prepare for the packers and what all of a sudden is a game that you know you'd 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 really like to win not that you didn't want to win it earlier but it'd be nice to to win it Uh, the eagles should win the game hopefully they're gonna win the game and if they are going to we will break down for you how just that will happen if you enjoyed the show please rate review and subscribe on whatever app you listen to your podcasts 27-24, 27-24, Lions take the win. We are on to Green Bay. We all we got. We all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. B-G-N.